if we are able to sit with what we're feeling, if we're able to sit and hold the very difficult feelings that we're feeling, then we are able to sit with other people's difficult feeling too. You're listening to Let It Out with me, Katie Dilbout. Today, we have another two-part situation. I have been hosting this podcast for a while, and the episodes are long. They've always been long. And recently, I started splitting them up into two parts. Not every week. Sometimes episodes are shorter or sometimes they're long and robust where there's content throughout that... I would want to listen to in in parts. And of course, when the episodes are long, you can listen to it stopping and starting. But this week, I'm dosing it out for you half this week and half next week. So I would love your feedback on if you like the episodes dosed out in this way or if you would prefer them to be all in one shot so you can, you know, make the call on how you want to listen to it. Let me know. My guest this week is Mari, a contemplative educator, mindfulness, and compassion teacher, and writer. Her work lives in the space where contemplative practices, Buddhist psychology, and Western psychotherapy intersect. Mari has a master's in arts. She's a certified contemplative psychotherapist and certified meditation teacher, and she works with both individuals and corporate groups and teams like Apple and Loom, and she moves people through both exploration and integration, and I really enjoy speaking to her, as you'll hear in just a few moments. We tell the whole story of how we met, where this was just a you know, kind of friendship at first meeting situation. And and we get into that in part one. And in part one, we also talk about her being an educator. We talk about meditating and mindfulness, boundaries on motherhood and boundaries, which she's very good at, presence and parenting. We get into existing and allowing yourself to take up space as you are today, being an artist, identifying as an artist, growing up in Brazil, catching ideas and the connection between mindfulness and creativity, which I thought was really interesting. She tells the story of meeting her husband and marrying him in a week and moving to LA, which is a great antidote. And then we talk about grief. Her dad passed away very quickly and we get into that. And then in part two, well, I'll tell you what we talk about in part two at the end. So thank you for being here, for listening for being part of this community. And if you like this episode, if you learn something, share it with a friend and I'll check in with you at the end. This is so wonderful to be here with you. So we met like a week ago, basically, (laughs) at our mutual friend Lacey's baby shower, baby welcoming. And I went with another mutual friend of ours. She had to go early. I needed a ride home. I was stranded. (laughs) (laughs) And Mari, you were so kind to me the whole party of just 
standing with me and you brought me over cake and we just had such a great time. We, it was so funny at the end and we were laughing and it was just like, you, you know, being at a party and having that person that you meet that you're, you hit it off with and we haven't been at parties in a minute. So it was really nice. And I knew that I wanted to be friends with you outside of that. And then we picked up your daughter. I met your in-laws. <laughs> It was a lot for the first date. It really was. And then I like came in hard of like, let's do the pot. Let's not only hang out, but let's do the podcast like tomorrow. We ended up rescheduling it. But um, yeah, it was it was kind of love at first sight, I mm. think. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. And then uh, since then, I, you know, I was telling you this when I got here this morning, but I loved hearing about your work and, and the conversation we had in the car. And then did a deep dive into your work. And and I have so much that I am excited to talk to you about today. So thank you for doing this. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited too. And, um, you know, in a party, because of obviously COVID and being out of that isolation moment and yeah. being in a gathering, it was already a stretch. And and I always try to find that that one person, <laughs> you know, uh, the one-on-one is always going to be my my go-to. And yeah, I'm so glad I met you too. I would love to talk about how you work with people now. And I know we we bonded over this in the in the car <laughs> on our pre-interview, where we talked about the word educator and you you call yourself an educator. You come from the art world, right? That's your background. Can you talk about yeah. that? Yeah. I mean, for I would never guess that that this would be my work. Honestly, I I mean, I used to play as a teacher when I was little. Now that I have a 5-year-old and I, you know, obviously I see myself and her so much, I I'm having flashbacks um, that I used to teach a lot. I was, you know, put my dolls and have the board. And so that that makes sense. Uh, But um, the reason why I'm calling, you know, I'm an educator is because I really want to just sort of broaden the conversation around meditation and contemplative practices and mindfulness in a way that feels like that we can spread ourselves, that we can, that we can really be who we are. It's not about a project of improvement, right? Like we're not trying to turn into the best version of ourselves. Yeah. It's just how can we integrate those practices in our daily life in a way that feels possible for us? You know, if you're either living by yourself and or if you're a mother, if you are um in any situation, yeah. Um, how can you start to integrate this in your life in a way that feels like, um, you know, you're you're not a you're not just a project, yeah. For in the trend in the next trend of wellness, yeah. So to me, I I just wanted to to make it at a more inclusive and open up a little bit the conversation around those practices and how I work with people. Um, is on a one-on-one. Um, it's a mix of practices that we work through and sort of like they they also get away with, um, they leave having a, a lot of information about the practices, m- about mindfulness, about Buddhist psychology. 
the work, like I said before, lives in the intersection in between Buddhist psychology and Western psychotherapy. So the sessions are really organic in the sense that we are going to meditate. You're going to get information. You're going to try to, to, to build a practice on your own. And you're going to also have moments of talk, connection, and learning about this from sort of like a more the source, mm-hmm. you know, like I, I really am very keen to direct people to the beginning of this whole teachings. Yeah. So um, to not be super diluted and then work on have people to begin to have a very critical thinking of so they can. Um, take their own conclusions about the practice itself you know what works for them what feels right and truthful for them Um, so that's kind of like how how I work with people and then obviously there are groups there are corporate programs and and then I do mentorship for teachers for people that are coming out of training or thinking of going into training who are very confused don't know yet how they want to start teaching um, all of this you talk about demystifying the space that you're in of mindfulness and spirituality. What do you think is most needing that right now? Oh my God, like, let me see. <laughs> Where can I begin with this? Looking back in the 70s and 80s when all the research started and specific programs were created for, for, the, for them to be able to, to test the brain, they had to sort of like exclude or, you know, make mindfulness a really secular practice. And I think the research, you know, showed what showed. We know the brain's plastic. There is so much that came from all those uh, programs and those protocols that were using mindfulness practices. But I think what it's important right now um, and in this day and age is to start to include all the other pillars that come with these practices, which is ethics, wisdom, the social justice component. We're not only meditating for our own well-being, we're meditating for our community. Um, There is a whole conversation around that. And I think now the research is moving into compassion practices and the findings, it's they are really much even more powerful than what they were finding with mindfulness. So integrating the compassion component into, into the whole conversation is also very important. And yeah. that's happening now too. I think what is important is for us to start to, to talk about this in context, you know, to just think that meditation is going to solve your problem. It is a misconception to think that you're going to turn into a better version of yourself, probably it is a misconception because it does, it's a lot of work. It's not the only thing. Yeah. There's a whole bunch of other things that need that we need to be including in the conversation, in the practice, that will sustain a more fulfilled practice. That is not only about, you know, sitting and meditating, which is also not available to all of us, mm-hmm. right? That is such an important piece of any sort of spiritual practice or talking about a lot of and meditation and mindfulness and tools and and even even in some some sort of psychological 
practices for growth. I think the only, I'm not sure if I'm going to articulate this properly, but the, the thing that is most certain to get me out of my own head and own way and help me with my anxiety or depression or whatever it is that I'm holding grief is connection is helping other people. And that's what I love about the 12 steps is like the emphasis on service. And I think that part of, you know, we are so connected and we are, that's why connection and intimacy feel so good because I think we're wired this way and I think it's essential. Yeah. And I'm not in the wagon of like, oh, you know, let's think positive. Let's meditate this out, you know, when we're going through so much, you know. But what I do have to say about the practice is that if we are able to sit with what we're feeling, if Mm -hmm. we're able to sit and hold the very difficult feelings that we're feeling, then we are able to sit with other people's difficult feeling too, right? And so that's where that's where I think it's important for us to be brought in the conversation about all of this and how it's important for us to reframe it when we are talking about, you know, oh, let's meditate for our own well-being or for our wellness or to reduce our stress. Mm-hmm. Like this gets me so like, oh, like we're not meditating to reduce our stress. That's just not, the conversation cannot go that way. Yeah. You know, it's not about productivity. Right. <laughs> Yeah, you know, it's really about being able to be people in the world that can be, be grounded and be, hold exactly yeah. hold their f- helpful feelings, yeah. so then they can sit with other people's difficulties, yeah. which is something that we haven't been experiencing, and we see what happens right um, out there right. when people cannot feel what they're feeling. Yeah, and I guess boundaries come into play here because taking it's essentially saying in a sense you know put on your oxygen mask before others and you can only be of service to others if you take care of yourself and that's a lesson that I have really had to learn of like I I think for me my knee-jerk reaction is to overgive and then feel depleted or and it's subconscious often. Um, I'm becoming more conscious of it. But, you know, I'm more pleasant to be around when I get my meditation in and I get in the, you know, journaling I wanted to do and the work that I wanted to do. And to do that, I have to have boundaries and, and protect that. And I think from what I have gathered from you and and what Lacey has said about you is that you do that really well. And and as a mother too, could you talk about that and how you've done that with Gala and your boundaries? Yeah. The first time I've started to realize more about boundaries it was through my dad first. He had very good boundaries with us and also with then later my teachers. Very loving, very present, very boundary. Is that even a word? Boundary? boundaries yeah <laughs> or did I, mean, I just let's invent make it? it let's use it i'm into it, it works. i mean you're gonna see we that I, inv- I invent a lot of words in it. english so just go with it <laughs> but anyway so um it's something you know it's it's a relationship that i'm also working on and developing i think what happens with boundaries this goes hand in hand with our ability to feel 
disapproval, to feel that the person might not like our response, to feel that we might let people down and that we are okay with that. It's very vulnerable. (laughs) Yeah. And to be very in charge of our feelings and trusting that other people can do the same. But if we are all able to do that, obviously it would be a much easier, you know, communication because yeah. we don't have to be worrying so much yeah. with everything. We're everyone had good boundaries. <laughs> there would be no anxiety. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So with her, I, I see her as a, you know, she's a little person and yeah. we already have to start practicing that. So I, I, I do use a lot of boundaries with her in a way that can feel really present, obviously age-wise compatible, you know, for example, you know, I'm, I'm just not, I can say to her, you know, I'm just not up to, I don't feel like playing this right now. I'm really tired or I'm feeling really frustrated right now. And so I need some space. This is the language that I've been using with her since she's very little. And, and then what I see in return is that she does the same, yeah. you know, obviously because they, they learn. It's not always that perfect or nice or it's, it gets messy too, but we try, you know, to give her also the permission for her to set the boundaries that she needs. And then we learn from each other, you know. What I'm trying to do is have her hear herself. Like, what does she need? Yeah. How she can ask for it, you know? Yeah. I think I heard you say with that, you, when that happens to her, you're, when she's having a low day, you can say, oh, remember when I was having mm-hmm. a hard day and it create you're, you're talking to her like a grown up, like a person. And I think that just sounds like such a tremendous way parent that sounds really freeing yeah it's 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 trusting that you know she in her little age can have the beginning of that capacity to um to start to listen to herself autonomy yeah yeah and then you know nurture herself and also understand that people have their own feelings too it's just very interesting to see how the kids are so unbelievable in the way they learn and how they apply and then how they come back to you with something that they heard you know a while ago and they and they know exactly how Mm. to apply it to so it's been interesting yeah do you have any two questions about parenting i'd I'd love to know a lesson that gala has taught you and any lesson about parenting that has been helpful to you other than the boundaries that you shared I think that overall, I would say observing. It's something that I have learned in mothering her, the capacity to observe her and just sort of not immediately react, but mm-hmm. just watch her and, and, and see, you know, how can I be there for her? And, you know, with that is also the capacity of presence, how just by being there, how much that there is in that, you know, how powerful it is. Sometimes, you know, obviously you want to be making dinner and then at the same time folding laundry and then she's asking for, mommy, can you just please sit down? And there's so much happening. But I found that 
and again, going back to resistance, the more I resisted and, and kind of soak on that yeah. and be like, oh my God, I have so much to do. I have to do this and I have to finish that. And you're, you know, and, and if I could get a hold of myself and then drop what I was doing, sit down for five minutes, that's it. That's all she needed. Right. And then I could go back to what I had to continue doing. So like observing and presence, it's something that it's just, it can do wonders. That's such a good lesson for life too, of like <laughs> with a feeling coming up, if you're just like, no, but I have to do the laundry and I have to do this and my plan and my plan. Usually when I allow and stop resisting things going not as I wanted them to or answering the phone instead of being like, I can't on my time. And that there's such a relief to that. Yeah. It's this it's space, right? It's yeah. that, it's the permission. Presence. Yeah. Of like, okay, I can pause. Yeah. It's yeah. fine. Yeah. Right. And I have to, because if yeah. I don't, I'm not going to be doing anything well. Yeah. Was there another lesson that you wanted to share? I mean, I think that that he, that she gave it to yeah. me, right? Um, oh my God, they they are such little teachers. I think Gala has taught me. I mean, obviously, so much, but really, be the honor of herself. She just she's just so full of. I think this is, and this is something that I think so much about it too. Like if we could just always spread ourselves and just be fully who we are, yeah. really who we are. Yeah. Not the version we think we are, not the project that we think we'll be, yeah. but like the the today. one we are. Exactly, yeah. today. Just, it's just so much more fun. Yeah. And we can just like enjoy the ride, you know? I think, because she's like, I'm talk, I'm saying this because she's like, the other day I was asking her about like, you know, what are you going to be or what are you thinking that you like to, to do for work? And she's like, what are you talking about, mommy? I'm an artist. Aww. And like, this just kind of obviously goes into my heart because yeah. I'm like, oh yeah, of course. Yeah. Totally. I'm like, what? Well, you know, obviously yeah, you're an artist. I'm so sorry. Mean, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and like this sort of like, uh, I don't need permission to be what I am, yeah. you know, this kind of thing that kids have. Yeah. But do you think that's also because you've shown her through your background and through your husband being an artist and having a studio that that's been reflected to her? And she's like, as Lacey would say, expanded enough to know that that's even possible. Because I didn't even know that being an artist was something I could do in Michigan. I, I know, right? I mean, that's why when she said to me, I was like, oh, I felt I, like my heart broke because in the same time, I'm like, this is what I wanted too yeah. when I was little and I was not shown to me. So right. yes, obviously she, I, I would say for sure there is a, you know, her, there is a privilege here where she has had the opportunity and the access to the practices, to a studio and to knowing, and obviously kids, they, they see and they mirror that. Yeah. But it could be anything. It could be yeah. a doctor. It could be, I don't know, like a farmer, you know, and she, but but it's just my point is just very much about that sort of like I don't need permission I yeah. am what I am and I can just be that thing yeah. and it obviously it will change and she can be whatever she wants right. but the idea behind that there's no justifications around it you know you are what you are and and that's okay I love that so much wow okay I'm very psyched to talk about 
this new discovery in my life. I often don't have time or really I don't have the energy to think about what I have in the fridge and put something together and cook. And I end up just, you know, mushing something together pretty quickly. And I often don't feel satisfied. And then I'm just standing in the kitchen seeing what other snacks that I have, which is fine. But especially at the end of the day, when I come home tired and hungry, I just want something immediately. And honestly, I feel that way throughout the day when I'm running around or doing errands or out on walks, I end up coming home and eating the quickest thing possible. And often that's the same sorts of things and it's not that satisfying or I end up getting takeout, which just makes me wish that I was actually eating at a restaurant. And then I found Daily Harvest. And honestly, I've heard about Daily Harvest for years. I thought it was cool, but I really didn't think it was something I needed until I tried it and found my entire week got better knowing that I had daily harvest on hand because it cleared space in my mind of having to figure out what to eat. I knew I had a satisfying, nourishing meal in my freezer moments away from being ready at all times. It was really luxurious and that's what I really love about it is that daily harvest is ready when you are. So everything stays fresh in the freezer until you're ready to eat it. So you waste less food. And I often, you know, if I go to the grocery store and do a big shop, I end up not really eating everything. Or even if I have takeout or leftovers in the fridge, they might go bad. But having everything in the freezer really, really works for me. So what even is Daily Harvest? Maybe you don't know. Let me explain. They deliver delicious food, all built with organic fruits and vegetables right to your door. It literally takes minutes to prepare and it takes overthinking out of the meals for the week, or at least it has for me. I am holding in my hand a prop for this advertisement. <laughs> it is the Daily Harvest Salted Swirled Black Sesame Scoops. They have this ice cream that it is an empty container I'm holding because I finished it last night. Let me tell you, I have had some for breakfast. I have had some for lunch. I had the rest of it pretty late last night. It is coconut, maple, black sesame, cacao, ashwagandha, vanilla. It was maybe the best thing I've eaten in my life. So they make this ice cream now too that really truly like made my week. I am really into this food. <laughs> they make these crisp flatbreads that you can have for lunch and, or dinner. I brought it over to a friend's house the other night. We popped it in the oven. It was so good. And they make food that can be warm for, you know, colder weather. They have these perfectly roasted harvest bowls and soups. And, you know, we've already covered the ice cream. So Daily Harvest never uses preservatives, added sugar, or artificial anything, including their recently launched almond milk, which is made of just almonds and a dash of sea salt. That's it. So it's really convenient. I'm always stocked up on whatever I need in the freezer because of Daily Harvest. They're also committed to minimizing their environmental impact. They're in the process of transitioning to 100% compostable, recyclable, plant-based, and renewable fiber packaging. Daily Harvest is really just so incredible. And I'm so grateful and excited that they are working with Let It Out. So if you've been wanting to support the show, 
Try Daily Harvest. Trust me, it is incredible. Go to dailyharvest.com and enter the promo code Let It Out to get $25 off your first box. That's promo code Let It Out for $25 off of your first box at dailyharvest.com. Thank you so much, Daily Harvest. I love you. This episode is brought to you by a brand that I really love, Public Goods. They are your one-stop shop for sustainable, high-quality, everyday essentials made from really high-quality ingredients at an affordable price. Everything from coffee to toilet paper to mustard to shampoo to pet food, Public Goods is your new everything store, thoughtfully designed for the conscious consumer like you. Rather than buying from a bunch of single product brands, Public Good members can buy all their premium essentials in one place with one streamlined aesthetic. That's what I really like about it, to be honest. All of my things look really nice, like my dish soap container and I'm so into it, you guys. Public Good searches the globe to find eco-friendly and innovative products. I love their mustard, as we've discussed. My friend who is a chef was staying with me using their mustard positive feedback all around. I love their dish soap. Also just having, you know, paper towels and toilet paper on hand and their chic packaging is wonderful. They ethically source and obsessively develop each of their products to be free of unhealthy ingredients and harmful additives that are still common in a lot of drug and grocery store shelves. They're committed to making their products safe for humans and animals and the environment. And, you know, knowing what's in your products and where they come from is important because small changes in the way that we shop can make a big impact on personal health and the world at large. They use a membership model to keep costs low and pass on even more savings to their customers. But best of all, you can make your first purchase with no obligation at all. They plant one tree for every order placed and incorporate sustainability into every part of the company. So join hundreds of thousands of others who have switched to their new everything store. We worked out an exclusive deal just for Let It Out podcast listeners, you, to receive $15 off of your public goods order with no minimum purchase. That's right. They are so confident that you will absolutely love their products like I do and come back again and again and again that they're just giving you $15 to spend on whatever you want for your first purchase. So, I mean, you might as well do that, right? You have nothing to lose. Go to publicgoods.com slash Katie, K-A-T-I-E, or use the code Katie, K-A-T-I-E, at checkout. That's public, P-U-B-L-I-C-G-O-O-D-S.com forward slash Katie. Thank you, Public Goods. I love you so much. All my friends love you, and I hope you love them too. Today's episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. Is there something that's interfering with your happiness or preventing you from achieving your goals? Well, perhaps BetterHelp is for you. I go to therapy. I love therapy. My friend Hannah is here. I've gone to therapy consistently without any breaks for seven whole years. She finds it very useful. So BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You can start communicating with your therapist in under 48 hours. It's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It's professional counseling done securely online. And this part's really cool, actually. There's a broad range of expertise available with BetterHelp that might not be available locally 
in many areas. The service is available for clients worldwide. You can log into your account anytime, send a message to your counselor from anywhere and get a timely, thoughtful response. Plus, you can schedule weekly or monthly or however often you want to do phone sessions and you never have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches so they make it easy and free to switch counselors if needed, which I think is really important. And it's more affordable than traditional offline counseling and financial aid is available. Just visit their website and read their testimonials that are posted daily. I've read through a bunch of them and they are all actually really touching and you know so we'll we'll link to their reviews and you can you can see them there so visit betterhelp.com slash let it out that's better h-e-l-p.com join over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional in fact so many people have been using BetterHelp that they're actually recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states this podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp and Let It Out listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash let it out. I'm interrupting this episode to tell you about my stereo show. So every week at noon on stereo, this app, that's a conversation app that I've really been loving. It's such a positive place and really easy to on and listen to other people talking and a really great platform for someone like me who likes to talk and talk to others and apparently likes to have people eavesdrop while I do it. So go to the Stereo app and download it and just give it a go and maybe try to listen to our live So I Meant to Ask You show that past podcast guests return and we talk for, you know, a really casual 40 minutes or so. I would love for you to be there. It's a live social conversation app where you can be a co-host and part of the conversation by leaving a voicemail, or you can just simply listen. It's all up to you, but I would love for you to join and be part of this conversation live. So if you can make it, that would be great. You can also listen to past conversations on there and I would love to get to, you know, talk to you on stereo. So join when you can. You mentioned that you saw yourself a lot or see yourself a lot in Gala. I would love to know, you grew up in Brazil. I know spirituality was really present and around you. Can you talk about what you were like as a kid and how that informed who you are now? Yeah. um, I think I asked a lot of questions, obviously, like kids do, but maybe a little bit too much. My mom said um the other day it was just like intense but i grew up in brazil i was raised and you know grew up there what was it like at that time you know brazil in the 80s brazil in the 80s brazil now brazil right is just not for beginners we call it there's an expression <laughs> it's a tough place you know it's where been, were you in, in sao paulo mm-hmm. It's a place that has seen a lot, a lot of suffering, a lot of difficult situations and people just grow up so faithful and so positive despite it all. And it's obviously on the other side, a very beautiful place. People are so special. I don't have a connection with Brazil 
never had. It's so interesting. I don't know why. I always knew that I was going to leave. But for some reason, I was born there. And I really like it and really enjoy my time there. Um, but I never really felt like a sense of home there. Though I am, I grew up in a very, you know, loving home, very intimate family, like the four of us, my mom, my brother, my dad, and I, they were, my mom was a social worker. My dad is a landscape designer. Was I still cannot say it in the past. And they were also very intrigued and, and, you know, trying to understand life and who we are and what we're doing here. And they studied something called spiritualism there. It's sort of like a religion, but it's not philosophies, you know, that mix a little bit different sort of like philosophies. But they talk a lot about the life of the spirit, next lives, past lives. And so I grew up in that world. Mm -hmm. So they were really like, they spoke a lot about with us. So we had like a lot of meditation around in the house, a lot of prayers, a lot of conversations, always since I was very little. And I manifested when I was little, like I could see things, I could hear. And so they were always very welcoming all of that. They also took me to different places like the church and different, you know, institutions. So I could learn, you know, there were all different kinds of faith and religion. And then I moved to Mexico City where then there I found other types of philosophies, different types of spiritual teachers and different communities that kept evolving and giving it more context for me and then uh, I moved to Spain and in Spain was a time where it was more about arts I was so emerged in the art world and you know arts as a process arts as a cultural agent and and expanding on that too which I mean I didn't say back then but when we were talking but I think art is so similar to mindfulness, right? Like the process of making art, the process of sitting with your work of art. And so I have a lot of ideas of around that and mindfulness. But um, you yeah. were a visual artist in Spain? No, I was just working in museums and foundations. I never really worked as an artist. I now see how I really wanted to be an artist, but never really had the language around it. Mm -hmm. I mean, I was a dancer. I, I danced my whole life. I was in companies, but then it was just that. I, I never really had, I never really thought that people could do that for a living. Yeah, yeah. Expanded. In, as totally. Lacey would like say, I yeah. never, you know, and, and my parents didn't really show me much about that yeah, world. Because they weren't expanded to know. Exactly. Yeah. So it was always like a battle that I had inside. Yeah. And all my boyfriends were artists, mm -hmm. all, of course. And so I was Dating always around. You want to be. Exactly. <laughs> uh, always around artists. And then, I mean, it wasn't until recent, until I probably had a gala that I was starting to notice that, I mean, yeah, like this is, this is where I, this is where like I want to be living in that kind of intersection between, you know, being an artist, being a teacher, uh, understanding more about these philosophies and how one interact with the other. Yeah. But damn, it's like, 
you know, it's it's a thing that I have to constantly work, you know. There is that part of me that feels that it wasn't nurtured enough. Mm. So I have to constantly be paying attention, yeah. you know. Your artist part? Exactly, yeah. The one that hasn't, you know, fulfilled or or had all the incentive and, you know, yeah. the encouragement. I was, I definitely went to the wrong school my whole life. Yeah. This is something that I have been working on too. Like, you know, you don't realize that until like later. Yeah. It was such an academic school. Yeah. Heavy on maths and science. And I was like, oh my God, you know, I was trying to think about like who we are and what right. we're doing right. here and our feelings and like, Definitely not trying to solve math problems, right. you know, and not your zone of genius. <laughs> that was yeah. definitely not the place for me. Yeah. So I'm in the process now at 37 on on nurturing this teenager yeah. that wanted to do things but didn't yeah. know how or when and in what language. Well, it's interesting to me. I I'm curious if you work with a lot of artists because I'm as clients now, because I see you and you, whether you identify as this or not, you are so an artist to me. And you obviously, you know, you're married to a visual artist and, you know, Gal is an artist as we've discussed, but I, I'm so interested in creativity and the intersection between mental health and creativity and talking about that and contemplating that. And it sounds like you are too. And I think you're proximity to artists and being an artist yourself, being a dancer and working in museums all leads you to be so equipped to blend mindfulness and art and mental health as you do. So I'm just curious with your experience working with artists and how the two connect in your work now, creativity and, and mindfulness. Yeah. I mean, I, Again, this was also too an afterthought. What happened, I think, is that I, I think I had to get so quiet, right? Like touch stillness mm -hmm. in like a deeper way to be able to start listening and to be able to catch those those moments and put it down on paper and yeah, writing for inspiration, ping, yeah. Because mm -hmm. to me the process of creating work it's so much about presence right like yeah. it's it and in constancy right like showing up yeah and keep showing up and watching that that whole thing unfolding and having and and also not knowing exactly what's going to be your, your final product we don't sit to meditate to have an experience or you know to feel exactly one thing we we are just sitting if you're doing mindfulness meditation you're sitting with what's happening with your with your experience you're not changing it you're not curating it and when you enter say the creativity world or this the creativity space you are there to say i'm here to get messy like i don't know what's going to come out of the here it's such an uncertain process right where you're just trusting and and what's coming out or what you're being with it's so much more important than the final thing that's where i think they they go so much together and they can really sustain one another i'm so interested about artists that practice or have a practice or how they can 
create and they have so many creative ways yeah. to 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 inform their practice yeah. right that's essentially like what this show is is unpacking artists and creatives and educators and people who are in process and what their process is because we're always in process we're always growing i believe until we die hopefully and what habits and routines and tools help and what hasn't helped and what failures and successes because i think that's learning from other people's experiences interesting and i think at first i thought this show was about learning and trying it myself but what i realize now is it's interesting and you can take from it but ultimately it's so specific and it's so individual yeah and i think it keeps going back to this idea of listening right yeah. listening to oneself making art is such a bold move it takes balls that you have totally. to really and it doesn't mean that you you're doing it you know maybe not necessarily for for financial reasons or that you're trying to sell the work however you are in that journey it's that thing that has to come out through you, through you yeah. and only through you right totally. like and and if it doesn't come out like marta graham say right like if it doesn't come out it won't ever come out like right. it was never going to exist right and and be how can we be so tender and compassionate with ourselves in this process right because like, yeah. it's that's what i i think it's it's just um something for us to include in in the conversation too yeah. yeah i agree and i think i lead this group called in process or creative underdogs and what i constantly keep going back to is this quote from brene brown which i think is what you're talking about right now where she says unused creativity is not benign like what we when something needs to come out through us that hurts us if we don't allow that and not attached to an outcome but just making art to make art and that's something that you know i got the whole idea for creative underdogs based off of there's this other other podcast that i was speaking at this podcast festival with them and and me and i had to come up with a talk and it, the title i think i was telling you about this but the title was creative underdogs because i felt like such an underdog compared to them and their show and i was in london right before i got there and i was talking to my friend joey on the tube and i was like what am i even going to say at this thing like why am i even here why am i giving a keynote at this podcast festival when i have this like teeny tiny thing comparatively it's all relative and she was like in her cool british accent she's like just lean into that and that's why it's called creative underdogs because i was like well i guess i do this this what we're doing right now getting into this conversation bali because when i'm doing this i'm more present than anything else and it feeds me and i learn and i get to meet people and i get to connect with people and i'm not on my phone and it makes me feel better and i want to keep doing it and that has nothing to do with the outcome or the audience or the reach or financial you know this is not for any of those things and then i i think that everyone projects like that feed us i mean it's a way back right it's yeah. like the return right and that and that's exactly what mindfulness is actually yeah. the translation you know is to remember yeah it means to return sort of like so it feels just about right to like you yeah. know to just to just try to practice that and or you know make space for that totally we have to go back to spain uh -huh. so you're in spain 
And then how do you make your way to LA and transition to, and I know there, there are steps between us because you had a space here. So what happens next after your time in Spain? So in Spain, I met my husband. Well, that's not true. Hold on. Let me see. tell that story. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, how I met my husband. Yeah. Cause uh, I think it's, it's connected to how you yeah. came to LA and it's such a great story. Yeah. So I was in Spain living there, um, working in the arts. And then I had a previous relationship, um, that, you know, we broke up. My heart was so broken, felt that I was go not going to survive the next day. Um, then came back to Brazil just to sort of like, you know, put the pieces back together. So it, um, get some of like, you know, time with my mom, my dad. And then I ended up getting an invitation to work for a museum in Sao Paulo and stayed. I didn't plan on that. I was going to go back to Europe and then ended up staying in Brazil. And then I was just like, you know, working, stitching my heart, doing the best. And then one day, Topher, my husband, arrived in my life like that. I had At a the museum. I had a, measure ta a measuring tape in my hand, a pencil in my hair, because uh -huh. I was in, in the middle of a sort of like um, exhibition setup um, in the museum. He was doing, a, uh, he's an artist, so he was doing an exhibition in the museum, sort of like next to the one that I used to work in Sao Paulo. And um, he came with a curator that I was friends with, and then we met that day. And he was going to be in Sao Paulo for a month, so we ended up spending so much time together. And then, you know, fast forward, I he came back to Brazil to spend more time, and then I, I came to LA. He took me to Big Sur. He, you know, took me to Malibu and all of the places, and then he asked me to marry him. Wow. And so this is like three months later. Yeah. Wow. Almost. Yeah. He took you to Topanga, right? He, yeah. He took me to, he, he took me to all the amazing spots and then kind of, you know, show me LA. <laughs> and then he's like, okay, do you want to marry me? And, and it was so, it's so funny because we actually married in that trip. I actually married him in that trip. So he proposed on a Monday and we married on a Thursday wow. on the courthouse. So for the we, green card and yeah that. to start the process wow. but i mean are you kidding me this could have gone so wrong i know like oh my god i got back to brazil and i'm like mom guess what i got married <laughs> you know that she had met him she, and yes yes i don't know like to this day i'm like whoa that was crazy but it, it worked it worked <laughs> it's a working you know and even if it's eventually doesn't it worked yeah. for the time um yeah. but he, it was just like we just kind of knew I don't know it felt really it felt right so then you moved to LA so I moved to LA a year later wow. and then then it was really hard then like it hit really hard because yeah. I was like oh my god I cannot get a hold of myself here like yeah it just took me a long time. You didn't have any friends here. You did. Oh mm -hmm. my god! Yeah, I can't even imagine. No. And so then you're more enmeshed with him. Yeah, that had to be a really hard time. What helped you out of that? Oh, I don't know. I, um, I think it was a process of a lot of, of just feeling 
bad for a long time. Yeah. And then eventually I got back to my practices that I already had it. Yeah. And eventually start to build myself back again. But it was like a dark moment, you know, yeah. where where I felt really stuck. Right. Like super um, blocked. I didn't, I did. It just didn't feel good. Yeah. It's so interesting because you were probably, that sounds so challenging. And then to see how you now are so autonomous and independent and have so many friends and are so connected here. And to now know that backstory of how opposite it was when you first oh. got here and you even had a space here. Can you talk about that? And did that help you yeah. out of that? Yeah. I mean, what happened is that I tried to start working here when I arrived in the art world and I just wasn't feeling it because it wasn't the kind of work that I, that I set up to do when I was living in Europe. The motto of arts is very different in the States compared compared to Europe and not to say, you know, it's worse or best, but it's just different. And I couldn't yeah. really find my, my way here the way the industry is, which is a very bad name for what art, you know, shouldn't be an industry. But anyway, and this is a different conversation. So I was just very uncomfortable. And then after a while, after some years, I said, well, I'm just going to have to do my own thing. And that was the beginning of reclaiming this sort of artistry this thing that I, you know that I kind of never really yeah. did it you know that I never really made the space for it and obviously Topher was the biggest like Supporter. champion for me yeah. like because he never really had a job before yeah you know he was always an artist he right. was the he is the one of those people that knew from the beginning yeah and and that was it was very clear about yeah. that he should do the podcast too with a contrast. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. He's just like, I'm going to be an artist. He was like, Gala, you know, that's it. But that's interesting because his his dad that I know is not <laughs> is in the medical field. Oh yeah. He had a lot of pushback. So what is his... Yeah. That, that's a whole different podcast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, but he's an Aries. He's very... Yeah. He's just very like, he just... That's what he wanted yeah. to do and that's it. Wow. He was like very, very clear on that. Yeah. Um, so anyway, yeah, that will be so his yeah. episode. <laughs> <laughs> he, so he like was very, you know, a supporter on like, go out there, yeah, do your thing. And, um, the space was just sort of like the beginning of my, I, my idea of connecting and, and creating a place where people can gather. And so we had meditations, we had different classes, um, all very thoughtful, very like small gatherings. And then I got pregnant. And then I kind of took a break because I, I knew I wanted to be with Gala mm -hmm. for at least the first year with no, like just not working yeah. or not working a lot. And so in the pregnancy, I already, I was already thinking of sort of like changing the direction a little bit. And then what was my private practice and things that, you know, friends would come to me for or that I would share very privately. I just decided to to make it like my work mm -hmm. so I went to actually get certifications and then I ended up doing this two-year program on contemplative psychotherapy and then start to gather all the information that I needed to go out there and you know do the work that I'm doing right now 
And so you ended up closing the space. Was yeah. that a hard transition and to let that go? No, not really. Because I did, I do feel like, you know how they call the bridge love, you mm-hmm. know, the one that you needed to. No, I don't. But No, I, yeah, uh, you know, when you finish a relationship yeah. and you have that one totally. little thing yeah. that helps you kind of get yeah. back. And so I felt like that was the case. Oh, yeah. It was not hard to let go. It was just. And what a cool thing that it, it made you so connected in LA and gave you the community that you needed beyond Topher and being Yes, here. yes. Obviously, that helped a lot. I, I met a lot of people. Yeah. met very special people that are That's still. That's how you met Lacey, right? Yes. Yeah. That's in, in other friends and, and that are still friends, that I'm still friends with. So yeah, it gave me a lot. Yeah. But was definitely like sort of a transition. Yeah. To where I am right now. Yeah. Yeah. So within that, you... You become a mother, you transition out of the work that you're doing now, and you shared with me in the in the car that your father passed away really suddenly. And first of all, I'm just so sorry for your loss, and I know how how close you you were with him. Can you talk about grief a bit and how that grief and processing that, how you moved through that at that time of having gala and changing your career and where you are with it now? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if I look back this past five years, it's been really intense because all of these things that you're just saying was happening. They were all happening yeah. in, in the past five years. So yeah. I was, when Gala was little, he got diagnosed with cancer and then had to do a surgery to remove the tumor. And very quickly after, like a month or two, it ended up being you know, a terminal cancer, it spread it and, and it was already too late. And then after that, he kind of had a year. So she was, you know, two to three years old. I was in the middle of this training. It was just a lot going on. Yeah. It was my first encounter with grief in a way that I felt like so direct yeah. touching it. And like with language around it, because, you know, I haven't lost anyone. Like, I, I don't want to say lost because lost is just, there's somebody that said, you know, what do you mean lose it? I didn't lose that person. It's still here. Um, but, you know, I never had anyone dying like this. So it was just, you know, the first time that I was touching that closely and was already my dad. I mean, it was like, you know, a big thing. I was very close to him, although we, you know, he was in Brazil, but we had this very close relationship. His presence was very nurturing to me. Like, how can you watch a person you love so much go through the journey of dying with presence, with space? It's just, it became my whole thing. Like, I had to drop all the visions of ideas the temptation to try to see if we could find an alternative treatment or if we could change his diet or anything and just let him be who he is. That was my biggest like learning curve. Let him be who he is, even in his dying journey and just sort of be there for it completely. So, you know, obviously motherhood stretched me but watching my dad go through his journey 
it was even more of a, you know, expansion, I would say. Again, in that same time, learning so much about our capacity to hold many things at the, at the same, you know, like um, grateful for him and also so pissed that he's going, feeling so much love, but then at the same time, so much sadness and, and just being with all of those feelings and then dropping all the ideas of what he should be doing or how he should be behaving because we have this romantic idea of death right and i don't know other other people's experience but he was just him all the way to the end you know i remember at the very beginning when he was just finishing the first treatment of chemo and he couldn't really lift his arm and then he asked me to cut his hair because he used to cut it like really short like with a razor uh, no what a machine so um, I start cutting and he was already giving me a hard time, you know, in the back. You're not doing it right. And I was like thinking, oh my God, you know, this is just him. That's how he is. Still here and he's paying in, in this process. And it was like this until the end, until the very last moment, you know. And just watching that whole thing um, and 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 letting myself feel all the things uh, while going through it. And I also don't want to imply that it's like, oh, you know, this just sounds so like, wow, easy. It's not, right? And obviously, I don't also imply that it's true for everybody because people have different relationship with their families and their parents. I think everybody has to honor that, and it's just not always like that. But my point is that grief is so alive and it does never go away. And now that he's gone um, for, you know, about um, a year and a half, I think, it's, you know, it's still here. It gets you every time and it hits you without notice. And I have to literally stop what I'm doing so I can take a breath. I wrote a poem the other day because the jasmine that he planted in the garden is blooming right now. And like, he was a landscape, he was a landscape, so he came here and he did this. Yes. Oh. And, and I said, when I walked outside, I was like, wow, this is a huge project. Yeah. So he did it. Yeah. Yeah. He, he worked in a lot of stuff around the house. I mean, oh, wow. He was a, that kind of guy who was always yeah. fixing, always working on something in the house. And um, so, yeah, when I see the jasmine blooming, that he planted, you know. <laughs> um, it just, it's, it's here. It's, you know, it's yeah. present. Oh, I'm so sorry for your loss. Oh, thank you. And thank you for sharing about all of that. That was my episode with Mari. Isn't she great? I just love listening to her voice, her cadence, and the way she sounds, and just being around her is really nice <laughs> and I hope you got a sense of that in this part of the episode and I hope you tune in next week when we talk about social media and not wanting to add to the noise and with that follow Mari on social media on Instagram she has a nurturing presence even there but we talk about social media and the complexities of it really at length and I share some stories about my friends and where I am with it next week we also talk about 
what she's been contemplating and learning presently. We talk about accepting what is and she kind of, you know, you get a sense of her work a bit because she educates me in a situation that I am and was, especially the day we recorded this, going through about accepting and not wanting to control in a specific situation. She gives some really wise advice and we talk about you know timing and doing things at different paces and we get into desire and she talks about a buddhism perspective with desire and attachment and she talks about something that really hit me hard which is the quality of presence and observing and presence and I sent out an email, which please, this will not make you want to do it necessarily, but I send out a email newsletter that you might already be on. And if not, I'd love for you to join, but this might not make you want to. It had like two typos in it yesterday and I was beating myself up so hard for it. And I think I was moving too fast, you know? And so we really get into the quality of presence and how we can pivot and remember to come back to the moment and Mari does this really well I hope you tune in next week in the meantime sign up for my email newsletter that had two typos in it last week if you noticed I'm so sorry maybe you didn't let me know follow let it out on social media let it out with three t's follow Mari all the links to her and working with her and being part of her groups and just you know engaging with her work will all be in the show notes and if you have any questions let me know i'm so grateful that you're here we're doing a flash spring sale on the right kit right now so if you use the code spring you can get 25 percent off of the digital workshop that has journaling prompts and i made this summer and i it's a continuation of my book so you can read about what it is in the show notes i would love for you to join and we spoke about creativity quite a lot in this week's episode and i'm so happy to announce i completely forgot to tell you this let it out second zine our first zine came out like two years ago and our second zine i just published a free zine called the creative combination so if you want to get that the link will be in the show notes to get that sent right to you and last but not least tune into my stereo show download the stereo app join me there it's such a lovely nurturing nice place so just follow me at stereo.com slash let it out the link will be in the show notes i love stereo i'm going to be talking on there a lot so follow me and you can just get notified every time i go live but every thursday at noon pacific time i'm bringing back previous podcast guests to do a so i meant to ask you after show that's a really nice supplement to this show so if you like this show you love that if you hate this show hard no All right, I will speak to you next week with Mari again. And in the meantime, let me know if you need anything on Instagram. And I'm really happy you're here. The emoji for this week is the pink flower. So comment that on my Instagram, on Mari's Instagram to let us know you're listening all the way to the end. And we'll, you know, same time, same place next week.